As you know, Psalms, uh, the, the book of Psalms is, is broken up into five different collectives, if you like. Or you'll see in your Bible five different books. Uh, and uh, in, we're in the first collection of Psalms. And those five collections, if you, if you ever wanted this, they're kind of the songs for those that are living the law, the Pentateuch. Uh, and so there's, this, there's this, this beautiful marrying that God gives his people where he gives them the law, the Pentateuch, and then he gives them these psalms uh, to sing and to learn from. And so we get to open up Psalms 29 is where we're going to be uh, this morning together. Uh, and, but before we, before we read our text here in just a second, uh, I want to say this about Psalms 29, a, f- a few things. Uh, one is Psalms 29 is, is, is beautiful poetry uh, as it relates to the Hebrew. Uh, there's all sort of literary devices uh, that are being deployed in this psalm. We'll talk about some of them as we go along. But number two, uh, Psalms 29 is between Psalms 28 and Psalms 30. So why bring up this psalm this morning to us? Because certainly when we read this passage together, I would, I would uh, bet that many of you have read this psalm in your annual Bible readings. Now, perhaps a few of you have used it for a call to worship. I would doubt that there's many of us who have taken time to actually study this particular psalm, which I hope will be refreshing and helpful and useful uh, to you in your personal life. But why Psalms 29 this morning? If you look with me real fast at Psalms 28, I want you to see this. Uh, David writes this in Psalms 28. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not, catch it, be not deaf to me. Psalms 28, verse 1. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. There's this motif of silence. David is in anguish right now. David is in a challenging season in Psalms 28, is what we can see. And then something happens when we flip over to Psalms 30. Look real fast with me at verse 3. He says, O Lord, you have brought me up, or you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored uh, me to life from among those who go down to the pit. So David went from, Lord, can you hear me? I don't know if you're with me. I don't know if you're for me. To God, you got me. You're speaking to me. You're with me. You see me. Psalms 28 is, is, a, is the motif of silence. And Psalms 30 is God, something's happened in David's heart. What happened? That's where Psalms 29 comes in. And if you're like me in your own personal lives, uh, perhaps God moves sometimes in your life, and, you, and maybe you're coming in this morning and you feel like you're on top of the spiritual mountaintop. If that's you, praise the Lord. I hope this will fill you up even more. But maybe some of you are coming in like me, and there's, there's this spiritual amnesia. There's, God has been faithful to me before. God has spoken and encouraged me before, but I'm just so quick to forget it. In fact, Brett, right now, I'm sitting here, and I find myself a lot like David in Psalms 20 saying, 28 saying, God, where are you? I can't hear you. Are you with me? Would you be merciful to me this morning and speak to me? That's where Psalms 29 comes in. So if you have the ability, would you stand for the reading of God's word? 
Psalms 29. This is the word of God. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Saron like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his holy temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. By his grace and mercy this morning, may it be preached for you. Please be seated. Join me in prayer. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning as a people that need you. Father, just even talking with a few folks on my way in this morning, we need to see you, God. So, Father, I pray, as you have promised, that by the power of your Spirit, you will accompany your word. And your word would not return void this morning, Lord. That's what I'm claiming according to your promise in Isaiah 55, 11. And Father, I pray this morning for those that are on their spiritual journey this morning who have been investigating the claims of Christ. Those here in this worship center, those that are joining us online, those at the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray, Father, that by the power of your spirit, you would penetrate into their heart and you would do a supernatural work. You would take out the heart of stone. You would bring your heart, a heart of flesh. You would awaken them in the fear of the Lord that they might find true security in Christ. And for my brothers and sisters this morning who are encouraged, I pray, Father, that this would yet again give them a fire in their heart for you that they would see your glory and your power. They would marvel at it. They would take, uh, take it in and that they would be empowered to go and declare it to those that are around them. We are your people, Lord. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalms 29 was said by one pastor that I was reading that this is perhaps the loveliest poem in the whole Bible. Now, as you know, that's a, that's a pretty big statement. And certainly, what you'll see in the Bible, or here in the Psalms, you'll see a lot of repetition, uh, no doubt. And if you approach this Psalm with just a logical, scientific mind, not that that's wrong, but if you approach this Psalm 
like logic and just scientifically, you will miss David's point. I don't want you to miss it, so I'm going to go ahead and tip you off up front. Okay? You need that. But I love getting in the, in the right mindset uh, that we are mindful that David wrote this psalm. David is a warrior. David uh, is, he is a man after God's heart, as, as DT was up here saying. Uh, he is emboldened. Uh, he fears very little, especially in warfare and battle, because his God is with him. He knows his God. This psalm will show you how he knows his God. Uh, this, this psalm, though, when we, when we approach it, we got to approach it kind of with a poetic mindset, okay? This is poetry. And so for, for the men in here, some of you are probably romantics, so you won't have a hard time. But if you're like me and you have a little bit of a harder time getting in your feelings, just remember that a warrior is the one who wrote it. And as we look upon God, may our hearts be humble. But I love Charles Spurgeon, what he says about this, uh, this, this uh, psalm. He's got this great poetic soul, and he says this, just as the eighth psalm is to be read by moonlight. Remember the eighth psalm? He looks up and he sees the stars in the sky, and he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Spurgeon says, just as the eighth psalm is read by moonlight, when, when the stars are bright, as the 19th needs to be uh, read by the rays of the rising sun to bring out its beauty. That's that psalm in 19, when the sun is rising in its strength. Sometimes read that while you're on a beach or by a body of water. And as the sun's coming up, think about the strength of the Lord. But he goes on, and he says, uh, So this, Psalm 29, can be best rehearsed beneath the black wing of tempest, by the glare of the lightning, or amid the dubious dusk, which heralds the war of elements. The verses march to the tune of thunderbolts. God is everywhere conspicuous, and all the earth is hushed by the majesty of his presence. Isn't that good? Hushed by the majesty of his presence. Many commentators tell us about this Psalms 29 here, uh, that this psalm was read by the early church, usually to children or to the church at large during a thunderstorm. Here's what that means for us this morning, and I would encourage you to take it this way, is the next time, mamas and daddies, the next time a thunderstorm is brewing and coming in in its power, go sit on your back porch with your children and read Psalms 29. And begin to take in what David will outline for us. No doubt, David is observing uh, a thunderstorm as he looks and he writes this psalm. Uh, there's three main points that I got on your outline there. The first point that we're going to look at, though, here, and trying to experience this greatness that Spurgeon so talked about, we're going to accept the king's invitation. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. He says, Ascribe... To the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Uh, accepting the king's invitation, we know this, that you are invited to worship with the angels. Here, in verse 1, we see that God has invited the angels, these heavenly beings. This term is the same term used in Psalms 89, uh, verses 6 and 7. You can just jot that down if you want that as a reference point. The worshipers in Psalms 29, when it opens up, catch this, is not humans, it's angelic beings. 
David, being mindful of his own uh, deficiency of worshiping God, calls upon the angels to join in. Join in with me in ascribing and worshiping the Lord. So why would I say you are invited to worship the angels? Because God also gives an invitation to us. We can see this clearly through the progression of the psalm. That the psalmist will start, David will start with the angels, but he'll end with the people of God. And starting in verse 10 and forward. This psalm is referenced in Psalms 96, uh, verses 6 and 7. It's a direct reference, Psalms 29, direct reference for the people of God to ascribe glory to God, to worship the one true God. And so you are invited to worship with angels, that heavenly host, this morning, to know who is God. And you are invited to ascribe with angels. To ascribe what? Look with me there. Uh, he says in, in the, uh, verse 1b, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, or glory and power. So when, when he uses glory here, David, when he uses glory, he's making an ascription of God, and, he's, and glory has two particular dimensions as he's mentioning it in our text. The first dimension is this, God's glory is visible. Uh, we know this if we were to go back and reference Deuteronomy 5.24. Israel saw God's glory on Mount Sinai, and they said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory. Moses, in uh, Exodus 33, asked to see God's glory. God, would you show me your glory? John picks up this motif in John chapter 1, verse 14, when he says, The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. God has made his glory visible, dear church, so that we could see it, know it, and worship him for it. We ascribe to God. We see your glory. His glory is not just visible, though. His glory is also royal. This is, it's an attribute of human kings. Uh, you can see this in Psalms 8.5. You made him a little lower than the heavenly being and crowned him with glory and honor. That's a reference to what Jesus coming in Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, you'll also see in Psalms 21, verses 1 and, uh, 1 and 5, O Lord, the king rejoices in your strength. Through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You see the glory of a king and his conquering and his power. It's royal. It's not just visible, it's also royal. But it's, but it's an attribute of a divine king, too. You can see this in Psalms 24, 7. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Power, likewise, is a royal attribute. And I'm not going to do this the whole time. I know I'm peppering you with verses right now to write down. It won't happen the whole time, but I want to just give you a sense of glory and strength or glory in the power of the Lord. Psalm 74, verses 12 and 13, confesses that God as king has conquered the forces of chaos by his strength. It says this, But you, O God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. 
It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monsters in the waters. God conquered the chaos that was around the psalmist in Psalms 74, 12, and 13. The glory that is being ascribed here is a visible glory of a royal, of royalty, of a king. Don't miss that, beloved. So that's what is being ascribed. But who is it being ascribed to? It's being ascribed to the Lord. Look with me back at, at verses 1 and 2 again. Four times you're going to see this. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. No doubt there, many of you are saying, duh, I get it. He just mentioned the Lord four different times in repetition. Don't miss this. That is on purpose. This psalm, which is 11 different verses, has the Lord mentioned 18 different times in it. Why would David do that? Well, here's one reason why David would do that and why he doesn't want us to miss it. David would do that because during their day, they were struggling with the the god of their age, small g, false god of their age, Baal. Baal was the god of fertility and the god of rain. And Israel was going back and forth based upon the narrative of their culture and the opinion of their day, and they were sliding back and forth between worshiping Yahweh, the one true God, and worshiping the false god Baal. I'm looking at you in here, and I'd be willing to bet no one's worshiping Baal today. (laughs) I understand. What does that mean for us, though? What are, what are the gods of our day? What is the temptation here? The point that David is making is worship Yahweh alone. When you see the storm coming in and you see its might coming in, do not give credit to Baal. It's Yahweh who did that. Recently in California, many of you probably saw this, there's this beautiful winding road on Highway 1 there. And Blown out of the middle of the road because of a mighty storm that took place a couple of days ago is this major gap. The road has just been ripped up and thrown out. Many would say, Mother Nature. The Christian would look at it and say, I see the hand of an almighty God. Let me, let me press this a little further for us because I think it's important. One of the uh, great misconceptions, worldviews of our day that gets woven into things is pantheism. Uh, pantheism is to see everything in creation as being godlike, okay? Uh, you, can, you can find a pantheistic worldview if you were, let's just do a couple of shows real fast. Let's just do it real fast. You know, some of you aren't going to be happy with me, but let's, let's go there. Um, Pocahontas, right? Uh, the, the, the song about the wind, right? The spirit of the wind. There is a pantheistic perspective there. Parents, we want to help, help our children see the difference in the one true God and what's being displayed. Moana is another one where you can see a pantheistic type approach. Frozen 2. So if you thought, oh, I got the, oh, no, you went there. I understand. What I don't want to make light of here, we say that in jest, but we don't make light of this. There is one true God. 
the angels are ascribing him glory alone. It's not, as one of the House of Representatives prayed, our collective faith. No, Christian, you have an exclusive faith. And it's to the Lord alone, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, the one true God. We ascribe glory to him if you are a believer in Christ. If that sounds arrogant to you, here's the thing. If he truly is God, it would be wrong and rebellious and cosmic treason if I said there may be other ways. If he's declared, I've done it, it's the only way. Now I'm preaching and I wasn't even to be preaching in this section. All right. Here's what I'm trying to say. We ascribe to the Lord alone. And when do we ascribe? We ascribe when he appears. Look with me. Uh, He says this in in the second part of verse 2. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness, or as it may say in, in some of yours, in holy attire. That means this. When the glory of God, the visible royal glory, becomes visible in creation, that's when the angels are to ascribe glory to God. So God is going to be merciful and he's going to condescend and he's going to allow creation to be mindful that there is a creator. Psalms 19 verses 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky proclaims his handiwork. And the knowledge of God goes out day to day. It's continuous. Creation is crying out, there is a God. And we can look upon creation as the people of God in the Lord Jesus Christ and behold his glory and behold his strength. And we're called to do it and it has implications for our life. So when do we do it? We ascribe glory and honor to the Lord when he appears. And here's the thing in our text, when he appears in the storm. And that takes us to our, our second point. The first point is accept the king's invitation. The second point there on your outline is respond to the king's motivation. This is uh, verses three through nine. Respond to the king's motivation. Uh, What do we mean by this? We mean first to experience the king's glory. David is saying, observe this thunderstorm. Observe this, this fierce, violent storm and behold his glory. Experience the king's glory first in the thunder. That's in verse three. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. By the way, voice of the Lord in this section, verses three through nine, will happen seven different times. That's not by accident, beloved. It's a completion to show that he is sovereign and he is ruling and he is reigning as king. And so he'll say here, experience the king's glory in thunder. Now, many of you and I know that thunder is like this. Thunder is the sound of a shock wave created when lightning rapidly heats the surrounding air. The heated air expands explosively 
and compresses the air immediately around the heated area. In the area where the air is compressed, the air pressure is higher, and when the difference in pressure reaches your ear, it is sensed as thunder. If you didn't know that, some of you are like, okay, now I'm back in seventh grade science. Thank you. I get it. It's been a long time since I read that, and I thought, wow, how marvelous and creative and wonderful is our God to allow our ears to even hear thunder. Uh, Lightning, in verse 7, you can see this, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Uh, Lightning is the discharge of electricity that may take place between two parts of the same cloud, between two clouds or between a cloud and the ground. The average lightning strike is six miles long, reaching more than 50,000 degrees in Fahrenheit. That's upwards to five times the temperature of the sun at its surface, with a voltage anywhere from 100 million to 1 billion volts happening. It's powerful. We're talking about something that we're familiar with, but when you consider it, it's a little bit jarring, isn't it? And the 29th Psalm gives us this beautiful compliment, this complimentary perspective, that thunder and lightning are the voice of the Lord. When the ancients saw the storm clouds moving in, they saw more than just clouds. Write this down. Psalms 104 verse 3 says, He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. That's Psalms 104 verse 3. The visible lordship of Christ comes crashing into our soul when we behold this thunderous storm and lightning. And there are different degrees of thunderstorms that one could be in, I know. I've been in different types of thunderstorms. In 1505, there must have been a really bad thunderstorm. Martin Luther had just finished his MA and was going home to celebrate with his folks, have a celebration party before he went into law school. And on his way home, Luther found himself in a violent thunderstorm. His biographer writes um, about this time that it was so bad, so jarring, so frightening that Luther found a big rock and he put his arms around the rock to try to hold on and to try to find some type of relief. He buried his head upon the rock and this is what he said. Uh, He cried out to the only mediator that he knew which was St. Anne. That's what he knew. I'm going to cry out to St. Anne, and he said, if you'll let me survive this, I'll go be a monk. He's saying, Lord, I'll figure out a way to get right. He He was shocked. He was afraid. He didn't know where to go, and God, being merciful in that hour, spared his life. You know the story of Luther. Not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. You read any of his biography, you'll go, what? How in the world could God use this man? But God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines, doesn't he? He uses us. And here's the interesting thing. He goes and he tries to get his life right, and he realizes that he must put his life upon the one true rock, being Jesus Christ. But he found himself in creation God manifesting his visible 
glory and his royalty. I am Lord, and I am bigger than you. Seeing the thunder of God and the, some of the catastrophic storms forces us as human beings to reckon I don't really have as much control as I thought I did. And there's something out there that's bigger than me. And I hope that we are in good standing and, he has, and I have favor with him. Luther didn't know what to do. Do you know what to do? Do you know what to do when the, when the storms come in life? Do you know where to go when it hits the fan? When you're most frightened, you're thinking about eternal things, do you have a rock to run to? If you don't, turn to Jesus. Give your life to Christ this hour. If you're listening online, give your life to the Lord. He is the only one who can protect you from this fierce storm. We experience the king's glory, but we also experience the king's power. Look right here in verse four through six. It says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Siron like a young wild ox. We're, we're tracking the path of this storm now. It's moving uh, from west to east. Uh, and it starts, no doubt, in the Mediterranean. We see the many waters there in verse 3. And it moves from the Mediterranean right there on the many waters. And it moves over to Lebanon. And he makes note. He says that the cedars are broken apart by this mighty storm that represents the strength of God. And he goes on to say this. He says, it's not just any cedars, it's Lebanon cedars. These trees that were up to 130 feet in height. These massive uh, fixtures in their culture of that day. They had a lifespan of upwards to 1,000 years. Nothing could uproot them. He looks at this storm and he says, it's as if God is ripping them up and throwing them aside. It's jarring. It's shocking, the imagery that David gives us here. The path of the storm is no doubt fierce. It's so fierce. Look at the imagery he uses in verse 6. He makes Lebanon a mountain and Siron. By the way, Siron, if you go back to Deuteronomy 3.9, it's an ancient name for Mount Hermon. Uh, he makes these mountains skip like a calf or, or act like a young wild ox. They're waving at the fear of this storm as it comes barreling through. You get it? It's visible. It's powerful. You can't ignore it. You can't be distracted from it. It awakens your senses. And it comes by the voice of the Lord. We experience the king's power in creation. But we don't just experience it in creation. We experience it over the chaos. Look with me at verse three again. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. 
the Lord over many waters, or that many there in the Hebrew could be uh, interpreted mighty waters. Now, waters, uh, no doubt, that word there, that phrase there, is, uh, can, be, can be tied to a big body of water. Like we said, the Mediterranean is where it seems like the storm started, and then it moved uh, onward from there. But nevertheless, if you go to Psalms 93, 3 and 4, this is a reference point. Psalms 93, 3 and 4, you'll see this. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Psalms 93, 3 and 4 gives us this reference point. That God is not just the God of the waters, God is the God of the chaos that the waters represent. You see this in Genesis chapter 1, don't you? In verse 2, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Uh, and, and, and there, as the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, uh, God says, uh, he, he splits the waters and the expanses, and he makes the heavens and the earth and the waters, and he says to the mountains, here, and he says to the waters, I want you over here. He brings order. Here's the point for me and for you. Chaos comes We don't have a good interpretation. We're in the middle of a trial and we're wondering, like David in Psalms 28, God, where are you? As David observed in this Psalms 29, you're right there in the middle of the storm. You're you're over the chaos. You're working all things together for the good of those who love you. I was a young Christian, had been a Christian for maybe two months. And uh, some of my friends said, hey, there's this this conference this weekend. It's over at this church in Murray, Kentucky. And I said, okay, I don't know where Murray's at. I've never been there before, but let's, let's do it. And we drove over to this little conference, and we got lost on the back roads, but it was okay because we had plenty of coke and chips and music and so we were having a good time and we got to the conference a little late and that was fine and we tried to sneak in in the back right and so as we're coming in the back and I'll never forget this moment the the preacher standing up front he said God told the mountains here he told the waters come no further and then he says to you and he kind of points at me he says then he says to you come and we say no I said, oh, I don't know what I just got myself into. Thought we were having a good time. I kind of slid down in my seat. That man's name was Paul Washer. Many of you know Paul Washer, uh, who was preaching at that, uh, at that particular conference. Humbling time. Isn't it humbling that the God of all creation, who allows us to see him within creation, seeks to get our attention, draw us in to his his kingship for our good, and yet many of us are still saying no. When that thunderstorm hits in the spring, I want you to be reminded of this Psalm 29. 
be reminded of the power of God. And then ask yourself this question. Who is more prepared to lead your life? You or God? It's a good question that we respond to the Lord. We respond to the King uh, and his motivation by experiencing his glory, by experiencing the King's power. And finally, that leads us to affirm the King's bounty. This is, can be found in verse 10 and 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And this is a beautiful picture that David gives us uh, in, in this psalm here because he's just outlined for us this idea of chaos. Uh, and, and we see this storm. Um, and by the way, just one more thing in verse 9. Let me, let me say this because I, I think it's important. In verse 9, you'll see that he strips the forest bare. This is, this is tornado-like atmosphere, okay? He's ripping up trees, and, I, and I've kind of alluded to that already. But for him to be able to strip the trees bare, this storm had to come through at the beginning of the rain season because there were still things, there were still uh, leaves and, and such left on the tree. By the end of the rain season, it wasn't left, according just geographically and as we, as we would do study uh, of their culture. So this is coming at the beginning of the rain season, which was a thing that Israel would celebrate. Uh, if God brought rain, that means he sees us, his favor is upon us, and he's going to provide for us. It's, it's, it's an important piece to the passage. In just a second, it'll make sense. But back now to verse 10. It says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Uh, don't miss this. He is, uh, he is king. The Lord sits enthroned. This idea of the flood there, the, that word in the Hebrew is used only in one other place in the Bible. And you guess where it's at? The story of Noah. In Genesis, right, chapter 6 through chapter 9, that, that verse, the flood. And so he's saying, picture God's judgment raining down upon the earth in justice. God sits enthroned over the flood. And he sits enthroned in a place where he can protect you from the flood, protect you from judgment. And because your king reigns, he reigns over the chaos of your life. He reigns over the greatest flood of judgment, but he also reigns over the other areas of life that you wonder, does God have control over this? And he does, beloved. We see that in 10a there, uh, that the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. But he doesn't just sit enthroned over the flood. He sits enthroned, uh, as it says there, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. This, this idea of him sitting enthroned, by the way, is the same imagery that you get when you go into the holies of holies and you have the cherubim there and the mercy seat. The Lord is ruling and reigning over all creation and when you look out on creation, you see his manifestation of his strength made visible in creation order. And his power and his lordship declared out over you, even in creation order. This is why someone who has never heard of Jesus Christ, who observes creation according to Romans 1, is guilty. 
God reveals himself in general revelation in creation and stirs up. How can I be saved from the flood? In Christ. And so we affirm the king's bounty in the fact that he, your king, reigns over the chaos of your life and he reigns over the whole of your life. He is the king forever. The king forever over your life. I just, um, I can't stress this enough. The word forever means if, if you, dear Christian, have put your faith in Christ, you don't take the place back. He sits enthroned and he is the Lord of your life for your good. John Piper has a statement that he says that I think is important for us, particularly those that are journeying in their relationship with Christ. He says this, if you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with the streetlight. He says, if you can't feel the thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on God's majesty and strength, now, you will give yourself to shadows and short pleasures. As we hear the power of our king, we worship the king who is reigning. And this is your call to come to the Lord in this very hour where you sit, as you listen, give your life to Christ. And for those uh, of us who are in Christ. Uh, this is for you an encouragement that your king, yet again reminding you, your king is reigning over the chaos of life. He's reigning over all of your life, and your king intends to bless you. Look right here uh, with uh, verse 11. He says, 11a, the Lord give, may the Lord give strength to his people. Uh, and, and by the way, let me, let me say this about blessing here. When we think about blessing, it's very easy to go prosperity gospel, okay? What I mean is, is God, I have God as kind of uh, a side uh, to my life so that anytime I need something, I tap God. And God gives me what I want and what I like, and then I go back to doing what I really want. But that's not the dynamic. That the, that's not the dynamic that, that David's hitting at here. David's saying God is all of life. God is at the center of all of life. God is ruling and reigning. And that very God who has the strength that's going to be manifested in this great storm, you see it in verse 1, that strength in verses 1 and 2, that's the same word in verse 11. That means the strength that God deployed in the storm that caught your attention, that made you shudder at how great God is, is being offered to you, Christian, to help you persevere. It's the same strength. He's saying, ask me for it. Let that sit in your heart, dear Christian. Your king blesses you with power to sustain you. We know this in Colossians 1. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer, preeminent Your king blesses you with power, but he also blesses you with peace. Look at verse B there. 
May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The word there is shalom. There's an anticipation uh, that God's blessing is coming in its fullness. Like we said, when that storm came through in in verse 9 there, uh, and the trees are stripped bare, uh, Israel would have said that's the first rain of the season. That means God's going to continue to make it rain in the seasons, in the rest of the season, and and it's going to cause us to have fruit, have harvest, have provision, have what we need. God sees us, and he is for us. That, that brings a peace in our camp, uh, that he is for me. And so there's an anticipation uh, that has been primed for the rain that will bring the provision for his people. The same is true for us, Christian. The God who is ruling and reigning, who can be found, his strength can be found in the storm, is the same God who provides for you and me all that you need for your sanctification and your knowledge to know the one true God. And he doesn't just give you what you need. He lavishes you with grace in every spiritual blessing. Every blessing. It brings a peace to know that God is with us. You know, I was... uh, I was in a counseling class. This was years and years ago. And my professor, who, he was a family man. I mean, the Lord had shaped his heart in that way, and he loved his children, particularly one of his children. And I want to be tender how I say this, but I think it'll help you understand something about me and you. His, His child was autistic and was badly autistic. And he always wanted to take his child on a, on a vacation, but he was waiting for the right time where it would best serve his child. And so his, his buddy turned 18 years old, and he took him on this vacation, and uh, he took him on like this Disney cruise, and they did, they did the works. They ate all the food. They, uh, they went to the shows. They sat out on the deck. They swam in the pool. They just had a wonderful time. Well, on one of the last nights of the cruise, his, his son went into the bathroom to use the restroom, and he accidentally locked the door behind him. And his son starts to panic in the bathroom, and he comes to the door, and he says to his son, he's trying to talk his son into, here's how to turn, turn the lock back the other way. Don't panic. Try to stay calm. But the longer the conversation went on, the more the child tried, the more frustrated and scared the child became. And the child became so frustrated and scared that he started to bang on the door and he said, Dad, you don't care about me. Daddy, you don't love me. Daddy, you don't want to let me out. And Dr. This, this professor was beginning to, he was telling us about this, and you could almost see the tears in his welling up his eyes even years later after he was telling the story. And he said, I was so frustrated with him in that moment. Because I thought, how could this, how could you possibly conclude I don't care about you? I don't love you. I've been on this cruise with you. I've taken you to do all these wonderful things. And he was just going through the things in his mind, and then God kind of stopped him in the middle of it. And he realized, that's exactly how I am with God. I get myself in a situation where I think, the door's locked. I can't get out. God Where are you? Why don't you love me? Why are you not good to me? And he realized, 
in that moment, I've got spiritual amnesia, and I need to be reminded of God. They needed the staff to come and get the young, the young boy out, and they did, and they had a wonderful rest of the trip. I tell you that story because we have spiritual amnesia. We forget about God's goodness. And like David, sometimes we need to just open our eyes and look at creation to see God's visible glory and power and general revelation that it would lead us back in to the cross of Jesus Christ. There is a gospel pattern found in this Psalms 29. If you look, the presence of the king in verses one and two, that call to worship, the angels begin to sing, glory to God in the highest. And the ark over the psalm ends, and peace to mankind. Peace to those who have faith in Yahweh, the one true God. Isn't that Luke chapter two? Glory to God in the highest and peace because of Christ. Are you in a lonely place, a frightening place, a hurting place? Tap in to the one true God and know that the strength that he shows in creation is meant to help you persevere. And the peace that he gives through what is to come, your hope will not disappoint. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for your love for us, that steadfast, never-ending, unbreakable love. I pray for my dear brothers and sisters now that, Lord, you would be so merciful to them in taking this word and applying it to their heart. Thank you, Lord, that you don't get upset with us when we have spiritual amnesia, but in your mercy, you condescend and you come to us with good news, and you, you allow us to see your strength and your glory, even in creation, that we might yet again come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the visible expression of our hope. We bless you, Lord, for this time together. We trust you with this now. In your name we pray, amen.